Well, good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, April 12th, 2020. This is Resurrection Sunday. Yeah! And you are celebrating it in corporate assembly. Are you ready for our title today? OG, the original gospel. (laughs) This morning, this very morning, here in this very place, we want to address our current climate directly. This morning, you will have the opportunity to hear the heavenly wisdom contained in the pages of the written word of God. This morning, you will have the opportunity to hear from every one association pastor. Yeah. Come on now. That's, that's a special kind of Sunday. Many of you know that Elder Eric has been in New York, Virginia, Louisiana, Illinois, in all the states in between, not to mention Istanbul, Turkey, Bucharest, Romania. Let's be honest, he was all over the nation of Romania. His travels during this pandemic have exposed him to a sinister, Mm. viral contamination that we refer to as a viral Easter lie. Wow. Author unknown. Come on now. We all know where lies come from. Satan. Satan. Here's how the lie goes. The very first Easter. I was thinking about how all of us were so sad that we will miss our first Easter at church when I read this from a friend this morning. God is good all the time. This very first Easter was not in a crowded worship space with singing and praising. On the very first Easter, the disciples were locked in their house. It was dangerous for them to come out. They were afraid. They wanted to believe the good news. They heard from the women that Jesus had risen. But it seemed too good to be true. They were living in a time of such despair and such fear. If they left their homes, their lives and the lives of their loved ones might be at risk. (gasps) Could a miracle really have happened? Could life really have won out over death? Could this time of terror and fear really be coming to an end? The lie goes on to say, alone in their homes, they dared to believe that hope was possible, that the long night was over and morning had broken, that God's love was the most powerful of all, even though it didn't seem quite real yet. Eventually, they were able to leave their homes when the fear and the danger had subsided. They went around celebrating and spreading the good news that Jesus was risen and that love was the most powerful force on the earth. It continues on. This year, we might get to experience a taste of what the first Easter was like, still in our homes, daring to believe that hope was on the horizon. Then after a while... When it is safe for all people, when it is the most loving choice, we will come out gathering together, singing and shouting the good news that God lives even out of death. That love has the final say. This year, we might get 
the closest taste that we have had yet to find out what the first Easter was like. <sighs> Author unknown. Mm. This article is clearly well written. This article is representative of many of the masterfully crafted lies in circulation in all the right popular circles. See, while it is crafty, subtle, and it turns phrases well, it and the others like it are completely incompatible with the OG, the original gospel. Yeah! Yeah! See, this is a special kind of Sunday. We're going to show you the next slide. We want to teach you two words you may not be familiar with, but by the end of today, you will be intimately familiar with these. Orthodoxy. Somebody say orthodoxy. 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 Is doctrine that is enumerated in the original gospel. Somebody say OG. OG. And orthopraxy. Say orthopraxy. Orthopraxy. Is when you display the actions consistent with the original gospel, the OG. You see, church, orthodoxy is important when considering idiosyncratic or peculiar interpretations. Okay. Orthopraxy is important when you're considering those interpretations' implications. We are proud of you for meeting today as the Word of God commands you, and as our forefathers did in times exactly like these. We're going to show you the next slide. It says this, in the original gospel, somebody say, O.G. Oh, G. Oh, G. The Lord rebuked this viral Easter lie. Mm. We will begin in Mark 16, 9. We'll go to the next slide, Reason. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to first Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. They returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them. Oh my. Wow. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe. To believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison... It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Amen. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Let's talk OG, y'all. The original gospel does not record Jesus applauding the disciples for cowering to fear as the most loving choice. <laughs> he rebuked them. Yeah. yeah. What would their lack of faith mean for everyone else if it were allowed to continue? His command was clear. Go into all the world. Then he quite vividly described the dangers that would, they would face. 
demons, snakes, deadly poisons. See, these men did not hide in their homes until it was safe and the most loving choice. They boldly confronted sickness, yeah. danger, renegade governments, and mm. presented the OG gospel as the solution. Yeah. I want to go to our next slide. This is, are y'all ready to get into the OG? Yes. The original gospel will not yield to the spirit of this world. Come on now. Let's look at Ephesians 2 together. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. If you were in ministry training class, this verse should resonate within you at this moment. Come on, talking about OG, let's read this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live. Come on, anybody remember how you used to live? When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work. Somebody say now. Now. Now at work in those who are disobedient. All reading this scripture, I think of living in conformity with the ways that this world operates, the way that it reasons and compromises. It is dangerous. The ruler of the kingdom of air manipulates those who are disobedient like a puppet master manipulates his puppets. The original gospel, the OG, does not participate in worldly wisdom. We rely on the revealed heavenly wisdom yeah. that is written in the word of God. We Church, do. that is orthodox. Yeah. We want to show you this next slide. The OG, the original gospel, honors God above all. For he is exalted in the corporate assembly. Hmm. Although there are numerous examples, let's consider two passages as we go to the next slide. The first one is Hebrews 10.25 in the CJB. Not neglecting our congregational meetings, as some have made a practice of doing, but rather encouraging each other, and let us do this all the more as you see the day approaching. The next scripture is Psalm 107 in the NIV, starting with verse 31. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. The OG tells us plainly that we are not to neglect our congregational meetings. It is our responsibility to encourage one another in person while in corporate settings. The Lord is exalted in a unique way while in the assembly of the people. Let's go to our next slide. The OG, the original gospel, compels interactive engagement in the corporate assembly. Church, the truth is almost totally lost on our entertainment-driven circuses of carnality that are so prevalently passed off as churches today. This morning, the largest church in the country just a few miles away from us, will be featuring video performances by the following. Kanye West. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Mariah Carey. And Tyler Perry. Consider what the original Gospels say in Corinthians 14. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26. It says, What shall we save in, brothers, when you come together? Everyone, yeah. has everyone, a, everyone yeah. has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. 
Did you hear the tongue given today by Elder Bosch? Yeah. Did you hear the yeah. interpretation? What we are doing is when we come together, we're following the scripture. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Amen. Virtual church does not meet this requirement any more than virtual intimacy suffices for marriage. Wow. I think I'm going to let that sit on y'all for a minute. The original gospel teaches us that we must, somebody say must, must interact with each other with hymns, a word of instruction, sharing of revelation, and prophecy in tongues so that someone may interpret it. It's yeah. interactive. Amen. Paul, the OG apostle, said that these things must be done for the strengthening of the church. Let's look at the next slide. The OG, the original gospel, loves God and our neighbor. By keeping the commands. Amen. Look, church, never in history has the word love been so mistreated, tortured, and twisted as it is right now. I understand it when the homosexual community uses it. Yeah. I expect it when pedophiles use it like that. Ooh. We need to turn to the OG. We need to turn to the original gospel so that those who claim to represent Christ do not use it in that fashion. Here are two passages that represent 1,500 years of continuity without semantic drift, without any deviation in what the word love means according to the OG definition. We're going to begin in Leviticus 19. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly. Did you catch that, Keith? Frankly. <laughs> Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Hear it. Keep my decrees. Yes. Now, just in case... A radical element came in and wanted to redefine what love was. 1,500 years later, the Apostle John writing in 2 John 6 defines it the same way Leviticus does. And this is love. What is love? Don't hurt me. And this is love. That we will walk in obedience to His commands. As you have heard from the beginning, say like in Leviticus, yeah. his command is that you walk in love. Yeah. Church, the first and greatest commandment was to love the Lord with all that you have. And that is directed towards God. You can't even get to the second command right. without the first. Yeah. Loving your neighbor is defined by keeping the Lord's decrees. The OG defines love, whether we're talking about love for the Lord or love for your fellow man, as walking in obedience to the commands. Let's move to another slide about the OG. The original gospel displays the supremacy of believers over every power of the enemy. Come on now. In the One Association, we are dedicated to being OG. Every week, people are spirit-baptized, delivered, healed, and saved from the ravages of hell. What happens to those when we don't meet who would have been blessed by the meeting? Look at what Luke says about the supremacy of believers over every power of the enemy. In Luke chapter 10, 
verse 19, it says this. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. And listen to it, church. And to overcome all the power of the enemy. Yeah. Nothing will harm you. The original gospel conveys authority on those who believe it. Because we have received that authority, and because we are OG, we are orthodox, we prayed for every sick person in this room today by laying our hands on them because we know that the gospel is still true and we believe in the power of healing. The original gospel overcomes all the power of the enemy. Amen. Man, that is a good word. If you are OG, then you trust that nothing will harm you, as Jesus has said, because your life is already in his hands. You would never be willing to sacrifice other people to the power of the enemy to protect yourself or claim that you were protecting them by avoiding them. Yeah. See, let's look at this next slide as we continue on. The original gospel invites the fellowship of sufferings that allow us to know the power of the resurrection. Wow. Hey, today's modified gospel obscures this very precious truth. So on this Resurrection Sunday, we're going to engage with Philippians 3. Next slide. Verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to obtain the resurrection from the dead. The original gospel, the OG, presented sufferings as fellowship, even sharing in or becoming like Christ in them. The original gospel risked all. It dared all. It endured all to present Jesus and the power of the resurrection. The original gospel didn't value saving your own life as much as giving life to others through the OG. Look, we get it. Today, personal feelings seem to prevail over orthodoxy. This is largely because the scripture has become, for many, a footnote just to justify what they already wanted. Let us for a moment begin to examine orthopraxy in addition to orthodoxy. Remember that orthodoxy is the doctrine enumerated in the canon of Scripture, the OG, or original gospel. While orthopraxy is displaying those actions historically consistent with the original gospel. The OG was consistently displayed in the lives of believers from the first century until the modern day. So saints, we're going to pick seven examples that range from 100 A.D. until the 1960s. But we're going to start with Mr. O.G. himself, the Apostle John. The Apostle John was born right around 6 A.D. He died in 100 A.D. Here's an excerpt from Fox's Book of Martyrs. The emperor, Domitian, who was naturally inclined to cruelty, first slew his own brother, And then raised the second persecution against the Christians. In his rage, he put to death some of the Roman senators, some through ballast, and others to confiscate their estates. He then commanded all the lineage of David be put to death. Wow. Notice his governmental oppression. That it wasn't directed at Christians alone. It was a power grab that affected his political opponents. It was also a murderous vendetta 
against the Jewish people. The enemy's subtle. Fox goes on to say, Among the numerous martyrs that suffered during this persecution was Simeon, Bishop of Jerusalem, who was crucified, and St. John, who was boiled in oil, and afterward banished to Patmos. Flavia, the daughter of a Roman senator, was likewise banished to Pontus, and a law was made that no Christian once brought before the tribunal should be exempted from punishment without first renouncing his religion. See, John was OG, and he refused to twist passages in like Romans 13 into an exemption from obeying God's commands. Actually, in Acts 4 and 5, he chose to obey God rather than men, even though they were actually governmental officials. Wow. You know, John was OG. And his life agreed with what Paul wrote to the Ephesians, whom John actually pastored. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Listening to Pastor Piro, I heard him say that John was OG, and that's true. But he's also YOLO. See, he didn't pause his work when it became inconvenient. He knew what Paul wrote in Ephesians 3, and he wanted it to be displayed in his life. Paul wrote in Ephesians 3, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. John understood that he only had one life to display a message that put the powers in the heavens on notice that he was OG. Paul went on to say, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to become discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. See, church, John was not alone in his OG mentality. There was an unbroken chain of orthodox believers who lived and demonstrated orthopraxy in the most difficult of situations. We're going to show you another one next. Our next slide is Antipas of Pergamum. History is a little fuzzy on when he was born, but we know when he died, which was 92 AD. This is the same Antipas that John wrote about in the book of Revelation. So Revelation 2, 12 through 13 says this. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. See, we want to read something to you now from McClintock and Strong's Encyclopedia. And these are events that took place under Domitian after A.D. 81. He is said to have been one of the Savior's first disciples, speaking of Antipas, and a bishop of Pergamos, and to have been put to death in a tumult there by the priest of Escapulus, who had a celebrated temple in that city. Tradition relates that he was burned in a brazen bull under Domitian. His day in the Greek calendar, celebrating his life and death in martyrdom, was yesterday, April 11th. Wow. See, the world used to venerate such men as were OG. Now the common 
phrase is to say they're not loving. That's because they've redefined what love is. I want to put Antipas into history for you in a way that might help you because it relates to our history today. Escalpulus is the symbol of the medical community today. The priest that put him to death with the help of Roman uh, procurators were priests of Escalpulus. Their symbol is actually a perversion of Moses' bronze pole with the serpent lifted up on it. It has two serpents on it. That This place is in present-day Turkey. We've been there. We've stood there. It is still associated with Escalpulus. It was the medical, spiritual center of the entire empire. In other words, this is where the World Health Organization of the first century resided. Or maybe you could think of it as where the CDC of the time was. But Antipas was both OG and DCD. Yeah, he was. I want to move on through history so that we keep this moving for you. This next man is Dionysius, Bishop of Alexandria. And if you haven't noticed, we are carefully working from the first century forward. And there will be seven examples. Dionysius lived in 190 A.D. and he died in 265 A.D. The historians like Rodney Stark have suggested that the Antonian plague of the second century, which might have killed off a quarter of the Roman Empire, led to the spread of Christianity. As Christians cared for the sick and offered a spiritual model whereby plagues were not the work of angry and capricious deities, but the product of a broken creation and revolt against a loving God. Start commenting on Jesus' words. Greater love has no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. He said, put plainly, the Christian ethic in a time of plague considers that their own life must always be regarded as less important than that of our neighbor. He then went on to illustrate this truth from the life of Dionysius, the bishop of Alexandria. See, during Dionysius' day, during his life, there was a lethal pandemic that at its height, listen to this, caused upwards of 5,000 deaths a day. A day. Wow. In Rome. A day, 5,000 deaths. Dionysius reported it with these words. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Come on, man. Many in nursing and curing others transferred the death to themselves yeah. and died in their stead. That's OG. That's OG. This evident Christ-likeness, this taking death in order to give life, it stood in direct contrast to those Outside the church. Listen to what Dionysius writes uh, further as he continues. But with the heathen. Somebody say heathen. Heathen. But with the heathen, everything is quite otherwise. They deserted those who began to be sick and fled from their dearest friends. They shunned any participation or fellowship with death. 
which yet all their precautions, it was not easy for them to escape. Mm. See, pandemic gives us the opportunity to display a counter-cultural kind of love. Amen. A, a counter-conditional kind of love. An OG biblical kind of love. Amen. Somebody say OG love. OG love. <laughs> That's biblically defined That's kind of right. love. Amen. Throughout history, the church has risen to these challenges. And so must we today. See, next we're going to look at Cyprian who's the bishop of Carthage, born in 200 A.D. and died in 258 A.D. The plague of Cyprian's time, some may think was measles, some think it was Ebola. But the mortality rates were just as high as those in the earlier plague that we just spoke to you about. Towns in Italy, completely abandoned. Some of them forever. The military and Roman infrastructure were massively weakened. Once again, though, Christians shone in the midst of this trial. Let me read to you what Cyprian Bishop of Carthage wrote, How suitable, how necessary it is that this plague and pestilence, which seems horrible and deadly, searches out the justice of each and every one and examines the mind of the human race. Whether the healthy care for the sick, whether relatives dutifully love kinsmen as they should, whether physicians do not desert the afflicted. Listen, I could see it on some of your faces when you heard this bishop's words. Consider them again. The plague searches us. Yeah. See, at the spiritual heart of this and every situation like it is that we discover in ourselves either the way of the flesh, which is self-preservation, or the way of the spirit, which is self-giving sacrifice. See, a beautiful lesson of orthopraxy and the OG is that as these Christians made themselves vulnerable to death, they actually found life. Wow. Yeah. Wow. One notable historian actually said, if you want to know how Christianity went from an obscure and marginal movement to representing around 6 million believers by 300 AD, plagues were a huge factor in it. See, the OG thrives in unpopular situations. The OG is built for resistance. The OG can even be defined by the fact that we can't be bent to it. I want to share with you another OG couple. You ready? This is Martin Luther and Katerina or Katharina von Bora Luther. You can see they were born in the 1400s. They died in the 1500s. But in order to put what we're about to share with you into perspective, Luther and his wife would find themselves in the middle of a bubonic plague pandemic. Mm. Now you think that you know what that is, but we want to share with you the church history historian Philip Schaff and what he wrote about it so that you get a little bit of a feeling for what it was like. The Black Death swept over Europe from Hungary to Scotland, from Spain to Sweden. One of the most awful and mysterious scourges that has ever visited mankind. It was reported by all of the chroniclers of the time and described as a disease that appeared as carbuncles under the armpits or in the groin, sometimes as big as an egg, and was accompanied with devouring fever and vomiting of blood. It also involved a gangrenous inflammation of the lungs and throat and a fetid odor of the breath. 
In describing the virulence of the infection, a contemporary said that one sick person was sufficient to infect the entire world. Such measures of sanitation, as were then known, were resorted to, such as keeping the streets of the city clean and posting up elaborate rules of health. Public religious services and processions were appointed to stay death, death's progress. What'd they do with church services? They actually instituted church services. They appointed them to help stay death from their cities. Wow. Wow. Hey, in this time when church services were appointed to stay death, the mortality rate was appalling. The figures, though they differ in different accounts, show a vast loss of life. Let me share these with you. A large percent of the population of Western Europe fell before the pestilence. In Siena, 80,000 were carried off. In Venice, 100,000. In Bologna, two-thirds of the population. In Florence, three-fifths. In Marseille, the number who died in a single month is reported as 57,000. Are you beginning to get an idea of the severity? Schaff goes on to note that Jews and Christians were blamed by pagans for the spread of the disease. Also that Christians never stopped assembling and encouraging each other with the scriptural and historic response of their brothers in previous times. Hey, Church Martin and Katharina Luther continued in the OG tradition. Yeah, they did. The plague struck Wittenberg in 1527. Many fled, yet Luther and his pregnant wife, Katharina, remained to care for the sick. And they cited Matthew 25, 41 through 46 as their guide during that time. Saying this, we must respect the word of Christ. I was sick and you did not visit me. According to this passage, we are bound to each other in such a way that no one may forsake the other in his distress, but is obliged to assist and help him as he himself would like to be helped. Martin's never been one of my favorite historical figures. This is early on in his life when he was actually doing the best. He refused calls to flee the city and protect himself. He stayed and ministered to the sick. The refusal to flee cost his daughter Elizabeth her life. But it produced a tract that has survived today. Its title, Whether Christians Should Flee the Plague. In this tract, Luther provides clear articulation of the Christian epidemic response. Are you ready for it? Yes. We die at our post. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. The plague does not dissolve our duties. It turns them into crosses on which we must be prepared to die. Amen. In a letter dated August 19th of 1527, Luther wrote these words. We are here alone with the deacons, but Christ is present too. 
that we may not be alone. And He will triumph in us over that old serpent, that murderer, that author of sin, however much He may bruise Christ's heel. Pray for us and farewell. Church, responses like Luther, Cyprian, Dionysius, Antipas, and John are the OG response to the pandemic. It is both orthodoxy and orthopraxy, but they're not alone. No. Let's move on and consider the prince of preachers and his feelings about the cholera outbreaks of his day. Take a look at this man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, He is sitting at his desk reading his Bible and smoking a cigar OG style. Charles Spurgeon lived from 1834 to 1892. By the 1850s, London was the most powerful and wealthiest city in the world, with a population of more than 2 million people. Wow. About the size of Houston. A cholera outbreak in 1854 struck fear into the hearts of Londoners. Mm. See, Charles Spurgeon, only 20 years old at the time, came to the capital to pastor New Park Street Chapel. He would look back to this plague as a key time of learning, both for himself and also for the city. When he was reflecting on that time period, I want you to hear what he wrote. It's short, but it's profound. If ever, if there ever be a time when the mind is sensitive, it is when death is abroad. I recollect when I first came to London, how anxiously people listened to the gospel. For cholera was raging terribly in those days. There was very little scoffing then. (laughs) Let that set for you for a minute. The reason Spurgeon had the revival that he did was people had to face death. And they did not dare to scoff at the gospel because it was OG. See, church, we've, we've given you six examples thus far. And before we come to our seventh example of orthopraxy, We thought it best for you to hear from some current OGs, the pastors of the One Association. Oh, yeah. You ready for it? Church, we want to let you know, we view the scripture as sufficient for every age. We view the scripture as reigning supreme in our lives. See, so when we face challenges, we do not decide what we think and then look to the scripture. We look to the scripture to decide what we think. Amen. Amen. So here are some of the conclusions that the men of character, the one association and who lead you, have actually come to. Let's pull up the first slide. Pastor Vincent. Oh, he's handsome, isn't he? Look at that face. Pastor Vincent shared 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. When Pastor Vincent read this passage, this is the conclusion that he came to. (laughs) Humility is fearing absolutely nothing but the Lord. Amen. Come on, somebody say, that's OG. That's OG, OG, both scripturally and historically. Let's take a look at Pastor Kaysen Schaubert from 
remnant. John 15, 12 says this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. Listen, when Pastor Chaubert read this passage, this is the conclusion he came to. That's OG, man. His thought was it would be tragic. It would be a tragic thing to call yourself the body of Christ while preserving yourself in a way that he never did with his own body. It would be a mockery of his love. I want you all to know about these. We simply sent out a text yesterday and said, give us a scripture and a conclusion that you've come to during this time period. They had no idea about this. And this is what they sent us. Yeah. Somebody look at that and tell me. That's OG. Scripturally and historically. historically. Amen. I want to show you another one. Second Timothy yeah, 1.7 for one of our uh, model pastors. <laughs> for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. But gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. See, when Pastor Justin Johnson read this passage, this is the conclusion that he came to. (laughs) Intimacy and fellowship with God is priceless. It isn't free. It costs us our lives to attain it. It is terrifying. It's supposed to be. And that is exactly what faith looks like. The church is experiencing a pop quiz right now in faith. The real test is yet to come. Come on, church. Somebody say, that's OG. That's OG. Scripturally and historically. Let's look at the next slide. This is Pastor Treaster. Come Come on, great man of God. He provided for us the scripture out of Proverbs 8, 32 through 35. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. When Pastor Teresa read this passage... This is the conclusion that he came to. (laughs) New life has been directed into a series on being open. Not only is our church open, but our eyes and ears and hearts are open to the instructions of our king. Yes. Come on. Somebody say that's new life, OG. Both scripturally and historically. Let's look at the next slide. Oh, looky there. Pastor Zach. Come on, Zach. I think he's wearing your family logo. Wearing the family logo right there. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, 
Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Amen. When our beloved brother, Pastor Zach Lamb, read this passage, this is the conclusion that he came to. Yeah. Oh, man. I love you, Zach. His thoughts on this matter is that we must know where we will stand before we have to stand there. This comes by knowing who you are subject to. When we know to whom we belong and to whom we are subject, then we stand firm and unified in all seasons, never wavering or doubting who we are. None of these men had to be coached through these responses. Because they are OG, this is what came out of them. Tell me, is that OG both scripturally and historically? Yes. Of course it is. Let's look at another handsome pastor. Oh yeah. Pastor Buddy Brasso, Acts 14, 22, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. See, when Pastor Brasso read this passage, this is the conclusion he came to. <laughs> How come that looks so natural on him? If hardships... If hardships are what it takes for many to enter the kingdom, then bring them on. Because as we remain true to our faith, we will become closer to the Lord. Amen. Church, when I see this, I see a Peruvian OG pastor. Everybody say, that's OG. That's OG. Both scripturally and historically. Come on, let's take a look at this next slide as well. Oh, come on now. Now you know. Pastor Piro. gave us Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4. It says this, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. When Pastor Piro read this passage, this is the conclusion that he came to. The Lord has instructed And will continue to instruct my words for others. Because of his faithfulness, I lack nothing in him. He is faithful to awaken my ability to hear his word. Awaken my ability to speak. Awaken my ability to repeatedly give the right resurrecting word for the weary. This requires my heart to first be pierced by his word. And it will persevere or preserve my life so that others can experience the same resurrection Come power. Come on, yeah. Somebody say, that's OG. That's OG. Both scripturally and historically. Come on, let's get another pastor here. Pastor Slaughter gave us two scriptures. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 21. The shepherds have become stupid. Stupid. They have not consulted Adonai. This is why they have not prospered and all their flocks are scattered. And likewise, in Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 6, my people have been lost sheep. My shepherds made them go astray, turning them loose in the mountains. As they wandered from mountain to hill, they lost track of where their home is. Wow. When Pastor Slaughter read this passage, this is the conclusion that he came to. Mm. Succumbing to external pressures has caused people 
to take a stance without having heard from God. This is stupid and has left their sheep scattered. You know what that is? That's Chicago OG right there. <laughs> Scripturally and historically. Yeah. I'd like to show you another one. This is Pastor Hutchinson. Yeah, man. Isaiah 62 in verse 6. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest yeah. till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Come on now, when Pastor Hutchinson read this passage, this is the conclusion he came to. That looks so natural. That's it does. Exactly. It fits. It fits. We could have just put his first picture up again. If Jesus died, if Jesus Christ died to live at his eternal post, then it is time that his ambassadors live for their privilege to die at theirs. Oh yeah. If plague prevails over our earthly post, then at our post will be the place where we meet our maker. Amen. But let it be a reminder. Ambassadors of Jesus Christ will never leave their post. Oh. Saints, that's Dallas OG, both scripturally and historically. Let's go to our next slide. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a great, great profile of Pastor Zeke. From Joshua 3.13, this is what he shared. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off. And the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. To be completely fair to Pastor Zeke, he sent the scripture and he sends the quote that's coming. But it was his brother who sent this picture. <laughs> Sorry about that, Zach. We're about to find out how OG you actually are. That's right, man. When Pastor Zeke Lamb read this passage, this is the conclusion that he came to. <laughs> The great tragedy of our time is not wondering if we will find our destiny, but rather that so many are standing right in front of it and choose to run. We were born to cross at flood stage. This is indeed our heritage. Yes. Come on, that is DC OG right there, both scripturally and historically. Let's take a look at the next slide. Pastor Massey. Genesis 48.4 Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Oh, when Pastor Massive read this passage, this is the conclusion that he came to. Another natural. He said the great assembly was gifted to the patriarchs in Genesis. Provided during persecution at Passover and the destination of David after deliverance. It is to be cherished, championed, and contended for. That's Chicago corn-fed OG right there. <laughs> Scripturally and historically faithful to the gospel. Let's show you another one. All the way from Indonesia. This is Giri Guzman. Joshua 1-2 is the scripture that he sent us. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. 
I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Come on now, when Pastor Giri Guzman read this passage, this is the conclusion he came to. That we were created to conquer the dominion of darkness and are responsible for taking possession of the land and his promises. This is our time. Amen. Hey, this is Indonesian OG as well, both scripturally and historically. Let's go to our next slide. Oh, oh yeah. It's our very own Pastor Wade, the homiletic Blaze Sutherland. He shares with us from Ephesians 3.10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. When Pastor Wadulus Maximus, the great and the merciful Sutherland, sent this, there's a conclusion that he came to. (laughs) Yeah. Now listen carefully. No compromise is acceptable because we are the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth, and the carriers of His manifold wisdom. No hoof is to be left behind. We must give the enemy no quarter. We will leave nothing behind and take everything from the enemy. That's LCMOG, both scripturally and historically. Let's take a look at the next slide. Come on now. Pastor Jake Womack, Isaiah 24, verse 13. For thus it will be in the midst of the earth among the peoples, as the shaking of an olive tree, as the gleanings when the great harvest is over. They raise their voices, they shout for joy, they cry out from the west concerning the majesty of the Lord. When Pastor Womack read this passage, this is the conclusion he came to. Oh yeah. As the leftover gleanings of harvest, We, though few in number, will be the ones still standing to declare the glory of his appearing. I know that Pastor Jake looks a little burned here. But you have to admit, that's OG, both scripturally and historically. (laughs) Hey church, let's take a look at our next slide. Oh yeah. yeah. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. See, when Pastor Stevens read this passage, this is the conclusion that he came to. It's not that much different than most days. That's true. That's true. That's his travel gear. Church, you know what? This image right here in this statement, it's one association, OG. See, both scripturally and historically. 
I'm going to read it now. Amen. Orthodoxy demands that we embrace the danger inherent to advancing the kingdom. Historic orthopraxy inspires us to hurry and face this death before another takes our place among the cloud of witnesses that surround us. I am compelled to face death as the world, as the word declares and as our forefathers demonstrated. This will mean death to the giver, but life to our recipients. Saints, we're looking at these things. We have our seventh example of orthopraxy as we pull up the next slide. We didn't need to amend his picture at all. He's burning one. (laughs) C.S. Lewis lived from 1898 to 1963. He's considered one of the greatest Christian intellectuals to have ever lived. He wrote things that are still being celebrated today by Christians worldwide. What you may not have known is that he was actually Irish. And when he moved to England, he felt like an outsider. He had a hard time grasping the dialect. He felt like he stood on the outside of a circle. He was very young when his mother had a protracted battle with cancer, and that left an effect on his life. He never had much of a relationship with his father, and he said so in his biography several times. But he also lived through two world wars, and he fought in World War I in the trenches. During that time, he was both wounded and his friend was killed next to him. He came out of World War I to go take care of his friend's family so that he knew what it was to, to live in a time of resistance and difficulty. See, when describing facing the rising evils of his time and the need to take your stand, he said the following, and listen to this. Why is God landing in this enemy-occupied world in disguise and starting a sort of secret society to undermine the devil? Why is he not landing in force, invading it? Is it that he is not strong enough? Well, Christians think he is going to land in force. We just do not know when. But we can guess why he is delaying. He wants to give us the chance of joining his side freely. I do not suppose you and I would have thought much of a Frenchman who waited till the Allies were marching into Germany and then announced that he was on our side. Oh yes, God will invade. Mm. But I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it will be like when he does. When that happens, it is the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. Mm. God is going to invade, all right. But what is the good of saying you are on his side then? When you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else, something that never entered your head to conceive comes crashing in. Something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. For this time, it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. There is no use in saying that you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we have really chosen, whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. And it will not last forever. We must take it or leave it 
now. Amen. Church, what must be resurrected in you to truly be OG? See, Brent would challenge your prayer life. Kaysen would challenge your sense of self-preservation. Justin would challenge your commitment to real faith. Treaster would challenge you to open your eyes in a new way. Zach would challenge you to stand in unity with the churches of the One Association. Buddy would challenge you to embrace hardship. I would challenge you to have resurrecting words. Slaughter would challenge you to inquire of the Lord so that you're not stupid. Mike would challenge you to maintain your post at all costs. Zeke would challenge you to advance into your destiny. Pastor Massey would challenge you to cherish this assembly that you sit in above all else in your life. See, Gary would challenge you to possess what has been promised. Wade would challenge you to leave nothing for the enemy. Jake would challenge you to stand when all around you have not. Church, I would say hurry to die at this altar today so that you can experience the OG resurrection in every area of your life that is lacking. Orthodoxy demands that we respond correctly. Orthopraxy inspires us that we are in a tradition of men that have already done so. This is like Hebrews 11 saying this is what the ancients were commended for. As you guys stand to your feet, you ought to be asking yourself a question. Where can you improve in your life this stance? Do you understand the original gospel? Could you have come up with these things by yourself? Did you decide after looking at media what you should do? Or did you fall on your face and cry out to the living God and He direct you in His Word? Because this, as one of the pastors have said, is just the pop quiz. The days are going to grow darker But the saints of the living God with resurrection power are going to shine brighter and brighter. During this time of worship, find a place in your own heart where you need to return to the OG. So that the resurrection power of Christ can raise you into all that Christ has called you to be. The world quite literally depends upon it. Father... We ask during this time that in every person in this room you would solidify the original gospel. Lord, that it would be what comes out of their mouths. That it would be what goes through their minds. Let your resurrecting power move through this room so that these people become signs that accompany the message. In the name of Jesus, we pray.